And the winner is Vanilla Ice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to thank uh, my manager here, Tommy Kwan, SBK Records, everybody, and uh, word to your mother and the people who try to hold me down and talk bad about me, kiss my white butt. Word to your mother. Welcome to Polishing Turds with Nick and Cal. My name is Nick. I'm Cal. And this is the show where we take a deep dive into the wonderful world of bad music. Today we're talking about the one, the only, the greatest rapper of all time, Vanilla Ice. I thought it was Dylon. <laughs> all right, Vanilla Ice, man. Like, how do you feel about that, Cal? What's uh, what comes to your mind when you when you think of the Ice Man? I'll I'll be honest. I know next to nothing. Everyone knows Ice Ice Baby. That that one's obvious. Yeah. I remember him in the Ninja Turtles 2 movie. Oh, we'll get to that. Yeah, go Ninja, go Ninja, go. <laughs> Other than that, I'm a blank slate. I'm, I'm ready to just be filled with the sweet sounds of Vanilla Ice. Yeah, we were, we were a little bit young when this guy was uh, topping the charts. So the first time I heard about Vanilla Ice, it was when like I was watching like VH1, like behind the music type documentaries. And uh, the thrust of it was always like, here's this guy who was really insanely cool 10 years ago, but now we all laugh at him. That's Yeah, that's the thing. I think I knew he was lame. Like even the first time I heard his name, yeah, I already had it in my head somehow that he's that lame guy. He has, yeah, he has this, uh, this cloud of embarrassment that hangs over him for, for anyone who's younger than like 35. But we don't really know why that is because, like you said, we've only heard the, the one song. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a bad song, but we've covered worse songs already in, in oh, our yeah, short for sure. show. I honestly don't think it's a, it's that terrible of a song. I think, uh, one of the reasons people really hate Vanilla Ice is, a lot of it is the image, right? Mm-hmm. Like he looks so cheesy. Yeah, with the the you know, the pompadour haircut and the shaved eyebrows and the see big sequined shirts and shit. Yeah, like and that. then he takes on you know the the ghetto accent, the urban yeah. accent, it's, <laughs> and everyone knows that's not who he is for real. It's all an act. Yeah, not quite. It's uh, it's it's an interesting story. Him and his street cred. Like the answer is kind of somewhere in the middle, but we'll we'll get to that for sure. All right, I'm excited. So I wanted to start this episode off a little differently. Instead of just going straight into the history of Vanilla Ice, I wanted to examine some of the things that other people have said about him. Then at the end of the show, we'll go back and just see how much of that criticism rings true. I'm going to highlight two prominent takedowns that aired during the height of Ice Mania. The first is a parody song that aired on the classic sketch comedy show In Living Color. It's called White White Baby, and it features a young Jim Carrey as Vanilla Ice. All right, stop. While 
I do off my laces. <laughs> this kind of thing happens every show. Yo, I gotta learn how to tie a bow. What's your real name? Robert Van Winkle. Why did you change? Nothing rhymes with Winkle. Pump, <laughs> pump. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm white and I'm capitalizing on a trend that's currently rising. Mix it with Curly and Larry and Mo. I become richer with every endeavor I'm living large and my bank is stupid Cause I just listen to real rap and stupid <laughs> Yeah, alright, we're off to a fun start <laughs> it's, it's fucking great, isn't it? Yeah, that was that was a really good parody. Yeah, we uh, will include this uh, video clip in our YouTube playlist, which, by the way, if you've never checked it out, Polishing Turds has a YouTube channel, and we include playlists for each episode that we do. Like, but really, like, if you're going to have anyone do a character assassination of Vanilla Ice, young Jim Carrey was the it, absolute yeah. perfect guy for that. So, And there's a lot of stuff you... If you watch the video, you'll catch he like gets all out of sync with his other dancers and yeah. stuff. Just trying to catch up. Yeah, it's very physical. They're they're taking a lot of little pot shots here. They rip on the fact that his real name is Robert Van Winkle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that is such an unfortunate real name to have if you're trying to do this. Yeah, he actually tried to hide that fact for a while, and then the uh, yeah, the Dallas Morning News uncovered it. And well, uh, there's a very limited number of careers you can have where you can be a Van Winkle and not get ripped on. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, anything I could think of, like, even like coal miner. You're like, uh, go get Van Winkle. <laughs> Unless you actually look like a troll, like, you're not going to succeed as a Van Winkle. I could see him as like a small figurine carver, and then you're like, <laughs> oh, that that's like a, a genuine Van Winkle. Yeah. He's got like a little booth at a state fair. Yeah. <laughs> Come meet Mr. Van Winkle, kids. <laughs> yeah. So, and one of my favorite lines is, uh, I'm white and I'm capitalizing on a trend that's currently rising. You know, they're saying he's a, he's a sellout. Like yep. it's, it's not real rap. Like he's basically a corporate product. And then, like you said in the, you know, they do a really good job of making fun of Jim Carrey's dance moves. Yeah. And as far as I know, that is fair criticism. Yeah. That's what I think of when I think of vanilla ice. This is like the standard, like vanilla ice critique. But then I want to talk about uh, another Vanilla Ice takedown that aired a few months after that in 1991. This is a, a bit of a more substantial critique, and it came in the form of a, a real diss track by a band called Third Bass. This is a song called Pop Goes the Weasel. Pop goes the pop goes the whining of the weasel. I see the empty pocket needs a refill. I got a squad with a list of complainers. I should have started rape. Rappers against phony entertainers. Yeah, 
yeah. We, yeah, are we gonna get to listen to a bunch of old '90s hip hop? Because that was good. Definitely, definitely enough of it. Like this is a, a really great era for hip hop. Yeah, it's fun. It's kind of the irony is like we're we're focusing on one of the most maligned rappers, but this is what people consider to be the golden age of hip hop. And that's kind of what uh, this group is kind of trying to draw attention to. There was a, a fear that went around during this time that, you know, hip hop had been around, you know, for over a decade by that point, but it was just in the early 90s starting to get commercialized, not just by Ice, but by MC Hammer mm-hmm. and other MCs that were doing just kind of a watered down version of, uh, of this very serious, uh, intricate street art form and you know in third base they're saying they're kind of worried that this is going to ruin their their genre you know they say the uh, hip-hop got turned into hip-hop the second our record was number one on the pop charts ice ice baby was the first uh, rap song to go number one on the pop charts sure i think it's unfair to blame all of that on vanilla ice yeah as i'm sure we'll get into i mean genres any musical genre through history gets watered down and marketed in some form yeah capitalism is a very insidious beast yeah i mean look at modern country music look at modern (laughs) modern pop and dance it's just they're always looking for that next big thing and they will water it down and sell it back to somebody yeah it's it it really is just something that happens it's uh it's the nature of consumerism and we are a consumerist society yep so let's face it when it comes to musical punching bags almost nobody outshines vanilla ice The mere mention of his name makes music fans cringe, hip-hop purists boil over, and aspiring white rappers tremble with fear. Yet all the animosity can't erase the fact that at one moment in time, Vanilla Ice was the biggest star in America. Chances are, somebody you know used to like Vanilla Ice, especially if they're a Gen Xer. His parabolic ascent and calamitous backlash are almost unparalleled in pop history. So what gives? Why did Vanilla Ice blow up so big only to have the entire world hate him just a few months later? We're going to explore these questions as we take a deep dive into the career of Vanilla Ice. You ready, Cal? I'm ready. Let's polish this turd! Yo, VIP! Let's kick it! Collaborate and listen. I sit back with my brand new invention. Something grabs a hold of me tightly. Flow like a harpoon daily and nightly. Will it ever stop? Yo, I don't know. Turn off the lights and I'll glow. To the extreme, I rock a mic like a vandal. Light up a stage and wax a chump like a candle. Dance. Caress the speaker that booms. I'm killing your brain like a poisonous mushroom. Deadly. When I play a dope melody, anything less than the best is a felony. Love it or leave it. You better gain weight. You better hit bulls out of kid. Don't play. If there was a problem, yo, I'll solve it. Check out the hook while my DJ revolves it. All right, so like, Cal, it's uh, that's a song a lot of people hate, and I it, it doesn't I don't hate it as much as other people, but it's definitely not a good rap song. No, it's <laughs> that's the first time I've heard it in years. Yeah, and it it's more grating than I remember. Yeah, something about it. I'd, it's hard to articulate. I don't know if it's like the nonsense rhymes or the stolen riff or kind of weird flow. Something about this though does not do it for me. It's like when you uh, when you compare this to we played uh, Eric B and Rakim 
in the Limp Biscuit episode. Yep. Like, if you want an example of really great rap from that era, just go back and listen to that song. Listen to songs like Microphone Fiend or Follow the Leader. Like, and you will you will see there are a lot of MCs that were wrote incredibly intricate, clever rhymes, had a very smooth, like buttery flow. And Ice is just very kind of stilted, and his yeah. rhymes are uh, really just kind of corny. Like, I think this song relies an awful lot on the hook. You know, kind of like Who Let the Dogs Out. Yeah. Like, it's really the extent to which you'll like this song depends on how much you like that sampled bass line. Yep. You know, like, sampling is a part of hip-hop music. We'll get into all this later. But you want to sample in a way that's inventive and in a way that you're making the sample your own, not just kind of piggybacking (laughs) off of this really clever riff that the Queen bassist came up with. Yeah. Vanilla Ice was born Robert Van Winkle on Halloween night, 1967. He never knew his biological father and grew up being shuttled between Dallas, Texas and Miami, Florida. He was raised in working-to-middle-class suburbs, and although critics later derided him for not being from, quote, the streets, he definitely got into a fair amount of trouble and ran with what your parents would consider to be the wrong crowd. So, And this is going to be like just a major sticking point with Ice, because... He became insanely, insanely big starting in late 1990. And, uh, you know, as just really the first rapper to reach that level of success. And then the backlash started. People started questioning, like, what his street credibility was. And Vanilla Ice and, and to a greater degree, his management tried to promote the idea that he's just as down as, like, like the guys sure. in NWA were. Obviously, that's not true. <laughs> yeah, somehow I'm not buying that, but okay. But he's not as soft as, like, for example, Cal and I are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, he's somewhere in between. Like, he he got into a lot of trouble as a kid. Like, he, he didn't go past 10th grade because he was always skipping school. He, you know, used to drive or ride around in motorcycles escaping the police in Dallas. He really did get stabbed five times and nearly died, basically just trying to beat up a guy that jumped one of his friends, you know? So... Like, he's not, he's obviously not black. He's not, like, from, like, the worst inner city neighborhoods. But he came to that culture, and he adopted it as his own, and he was able to mimic it well enough to to get by. Like Fred Durst, Young Rob independently discovered hip-hop culture in the 1980s. An impressive feat, considering that there was no internet back then, and the genre was basically ignored by mainstream society. He fell in love with breakdancing and beatboxing and hung out with a small crew that would dance and freestyle for tips outside of malls in the Dallas area. Rob was the only white member of the crew, thus earning him the nickname Vanilla. <laughs> yeah, he says he didn't uh, he didn't like that nickname, but like they just kept running with it. And like the more I don't think he had a choice. <laughs> no, like the, the more he showed that it annoyed him, the more they could. Oh, yeah, vanilla, totally. Vanilla. Yeah, totally. So, like, it just it was uh, he was stuck with it. It's like every everyone had that guy in their group of friends that was just the butt of all the jokes. <laughs> I think Ice was that at yeah. one point. <laughs> but the real story begins in 1988 at a Dallas club called City Lights. Located in a rough part of town, the club was the epicenter of the North Texas hip-hop scene. Using a fake ID, the 20-year-old Vanilla entered the club and was dared by his friend Squirrel to perform at the open mic. Now when you consider that the crowd at City Lights was almost entirely black... This is a pretty ballsy move. Like, Cal, I dare you to go to some uh, North uh, Milwaukee hip-hop club and just <laughs> just bust out your own beats. That's what I was going to say. I don't think I would do that. 
I don't have a ton of stage confidence as it is. No. In a normal situation. So, no, yeah, I, I can respect the balls there. And this is like, you know, this really was in a, in a, in a rough neighborhood. Like there was a non-zero chance that if he really, really bombed, it could have like almost gone physically violent for him. Sure. But Vanilla genuinely won over the crowd with his rapping, dancing, and beatboxing. Like he, he fucking, he, he tore it up like that first night. That's, that's legitimately impressive. They make movie scenes about that shit. Yeah. This, like, this was like the big movie, movie moment for Vanilla Ice. After the show, A&R reps from record labels handed him their business cards, and City Lights owner Tommy Kwan offered to act as Vanilla's manager. Rob's stage name was rebranded from Vanilla to Vanilla Ice, and he began performing regularly at City Lights, becoming something of a local legend. He would open for some of the largest hip-hop artists of the day, including Two Live Crew, Rob Bass, and MC Hammer. He was also invited onto the Stomp the Violence tour, opening for a lineup that included Ice-T, NWA, EPMD, and one of my all-time favorites, Public Enemy. Yo Chuck, these honey dribbles are still front on us. Show them that we can do this, cause we always do this. <laughs> yeah, boy! Bass, how low can you go? Death row, what a brother know. Once again, back is the incredible. Rhyme animal, the uncannable beast. Public Enemy number one, five folks said freeze. And I got numb. Can I tell them that I really never had a gun? But it's the wax that determined they So like when we were uh, we were talking about like real rap earlier, like that's what we were talking about. Public enemies as real as it gets. Yeah, no. I shit. I mean, Chuck D was a hardcore dude. Yeah, Th- like that stuff is not gonna make it to the top of the charts. Like no, because it is by its own necessity too confrontational for white America to swallow. Yeah, that was actually one I remember. I was playing in the basement when I was living with my parents as a kid, <laughs> and my mom came down and was upset. It's, it was one of those records. She's yeah, like, what are you listening to? Yeah, and that was that was in the like mid two thousands. Like yep. it's it really it still holds up today. Every everything they were talking about is still a major major issue today. Yep. So Public Enemy, they were and still are one of the most respected rap groups in the game. And in later years, people would contrast the innovative, highly intellectual style of guys like Public Enemy with the bland, easy-to-digest rap of Vanilla Ice. But back in the late 80s, Ice was actually friends with Public Enemy, and at one point they even tried to sign him to Def Jam Records. Yes, this is all hard to believe so far. It's, It's hard to remember. It's hard to picture a time when he was respected. Yeah. By legitimate rappers. Part of it was that this was a smaller community at the time. So every major rapper basically knew each other. And it was uh, it was tough, you know, for people of any race to try to enter into that particular genre because it was so feared by the rest of society. Like Sam Goody, like used to Sam Goody, by the, first of all, was a record store back when that used to exist. <laughs> But a what? Yeah. So back in the days, you could go into a physical brick and mortar store and buy these things called CDs. <laughs> but they, but Sam Goody was like one of the major chains of that time. They had a policy where they wouldn't sell punk or rap records. 
that actually changed with Vanilla Ice and MC Hammer. Right. It's it's become <laughs> safe enough. Yeah. Like, but back, but this, but that's how people thought of rap back then. Is like this is dangerous. This is going to ruin society. This is going to, you know, destroy your children, etc. It's funny. All my favorite music comes <laughs> yeah, <know>. along with <laughs> that. Like my favorite genres historically have been like. I like gangster rap. It has to be very violent. I yeah. don't know why that's well. part that I like. <laughs> and then same with the uh, metal. I really like like the heaviest shit you can find. Punk rock. It needs to be like legit angry punk rock. It can't oh, be yeah. Blink-182. No. I don't know what it is about my music <laughs> taste that it's just got to be intense. And I've always had a contrarian personality, and I was attracted to especially punk rock back in the day because it seemed to reflect something of my inner hatred of society. Maybe, you know... I used to think that I hated society because like of all the hypocrisies of capitalism and nationalism and war. And I still hate all that shit, but it is also probably because like I wasn't good at making friends and I wasn't good at fitting in. So I think, yeah. I think those teams, those things both equally played off of each other. Yeah. The punks like that speaks to your soul when you feel that way. You know, again, it is important to note that during this period, Ice was performing for almost entirely black crowds and he was winning them over. Like the crowds would chant, uh, go white boy, go white boy, go. And, you know, that became a staple of his live show. And it's funny, like actually, even after he became really famous and his crowds were like 95% white, they would still like have him <laughs> chanting, go white boy, go white boy, go. Like, it's it's really awkward that's super awkward <laughs> it's like it seems like some like proud boys shit <laughs> i'm just trying to picture too like if it was like if it was a black guy in a black crowd and they go, go black guy go black guy like it's weird <laughs> i think at this particular time in these clubs where you'd have a bill of like six black rappers and then one white guy it's like he was like the novelty of the bunch yeah I, so I started at my company when I was 19 years old. Mm-hmm. I know how that must feel. Like I was the novelty. <laughs> I was 10 years younger than anyone else working there, and I felt yeah. See, so but you, had, you probably felt you had to prove yourself, right? Well, and so I turned out to be one of their. You know, toot my own horn for a second. I was one of their best CAD techs at the time. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like I slowly won them over the same way. They're <laughs> like, look at that kid go. I think a lot of the appeal of Vanilla Ice is that he is a really fantastic dancer. Like, whatever you think of him as a rapper, like, everyone agrees he's kind of mediocre at rapping. But as far as dancing goes, he is fly as fuck. I don't care what anybody says. And he did all of his own choreography, too. I don't think I've ever seen him dance outside of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. Yeah, well, you watch, watch the uh, Ice Ice Baby video. It's, uh, like, he, he definitely holds his own. And I've never heard him beatbox either, but apparently he's good at that. In 1988, manager Tommy Kwan financed the first Vanilla Ice album, an independent record called Hooked. At the time, it was difficult to market a solo white rapper to major labels. And after months of persistence, Hooked was finally released on the indie rap label Ichiban Records. The lead single from the album was a take on the Wild Cherry classic Play That Funky Music. I'm back, and I'm ringing the bell. I'm rocking on the mic while the fly girls yell. In ecstasy in the back of me. Well, that's my DJ. T-shirt. Cutting all them ZZs. Hitting hard and the girl is doing crazy. Vanilla's on the mic, man. I'm not lazy. I'm letting my throat kick in. It controls my mouth and I begin to just let it flow. Let my concept go. My posse's to the side of yelling. Go, Vanilla, go. Smooth. Because that's the way I will be. And if you don't give a damn, then why you staring on me? So get off. Because I control the stage. There's no dissing allowed. I'm in my own phase. The girlies say they love me, and that is okay. And I can dance better than any kid. 
kid or play. I'm going to lose all my street cred right away and put a big target on my back. <laughs> I don't think that was much worse than any like easy E rap. Uh, At least that early one. I don't know. It's uh I mean, I find it to be kind of bland. It's it's a very he's he's got a very simplistic approach to rapping for sure. Yeah, that's that's all I'm getting at. He you're not rhyming three syllable words or anything yet. Yeah. But. And actually like easy E like I think uh was more about image than his actual yeah, flow. Yeah, he was definitely yeah. like a, the style guy. Yeah, but but at least uh, e, Easy E was like uh, the leader of a band that included like sure. kind of some better rhymers in the bunch. But uh, I kind of feel the same way about Flava Flav. Yeah, like Public Enemy. I I love his songs where he sings like Nine One One is a joke is yeah. awesome. But he's not a good rapper. He's not. That's not his strength at all. No, it's a uh, it's but a good it's, voice and a good image. Yeah, it's a good voice, a good image, but. But again, it, like that's a that's a case where his style works because it's paired against Chuck D in the, in those these very yeah. like intense intricate flows. With Ice, it's like he's doing it himself. Like if you've never heard rap music before, you'd probably think that was pretty dope. Like <laughs> he's almost like teaching you how to do it. Like the rhymes are so easy and so formulaic. Yeah, and that's <laughs> that's what I was getting at. Is like. So it's like when people tell me, oh, I, I like heavy metal music and Enter Sandman's a good song and they start there. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's what I'm going to do this whole episode. So just bear with me. It's, I'm it's, not a rap expert at all. You're definitely going to listen to a white guy who knows a little bit, try and talk yeah. about rap. So. Really, really both of us, honestly. Like, I like a lot of rap music and I like a lot from this era. But even we know enough to know that Vanilla Ice is not like the hardest rapper in the game. He's oh, not God, the most no. inventive rapper in the game. This is baby's first rap. It's what it is. Yeah. And, you know, maybe we need that, but. Yeah. No, it's, again, it's, everyone needs that gateway drug to get them into the hard stuff. Yeah. For months, Ice and his team tried to push play that funky music to radio stations without much success. Then one day, a DJ from Columbus, Georgia, randomly decided to play the single's B-side, a song called Ice Ice Baby. Immediately, his station was flooded with requests to play the song, and soon other stations around the region began to follow suit. Ice Mania had officially begun. It's time to take a deep dive into Vanilla Ice's signature hit. I'm guessing that you all know Ice Ice Baby, but I'm sure there are a lot of things you don't know about it. So, first of all, the song took off on local hip-hop radio before the video was ever made, and thus most of the early buyers of Ice Ice Baby were black. Isis DJ Earthquake once claimed that the first million copies of Ice Ice Baby were sold to black listeners who didn't even know Vanilla Ice was white. That's probably an exaggeration, but it illustrates the fact that there's a big difference between what Ice's initial audience was and what his audience eventually became. And I just, I'm also really fascinated by this divergence and just, just how quickly it occurred. It was like literally a matter of months before he went from playing like these shitty all black clubs in various inner cities to just selling out like the fucking Target arena or whatever. Yeah, it's really amazing, especially pre-internet. This is just, it, it's a wild mm. upswing. Yeah, it's just, it just fucking caught on like, like wildfire. 
And second of all, we would be remiss not to bring up the song's rather generous sampling of Queen and David Bowie's Under Pressure. Yeah. <laughs> this is something you, you all know. Yes, yeah, like, we we're going to get to this. Is there a word stronger than generous? <laughs> and like we were alluding to this before, but like hip hop is based in sampling. Sampling is a legitimate art form, and it's it's worth like studying the actual history of sampling. But that being said, there's an ethos around sampling, right? You can't just like build your whole song around a single hook. You have to kind of like twist that sample and make it your own. Mm -hmm. And this uh, song, plus uh, another example would be You Can't Touch This by MC Hammer. Both of those songs kind of like just have an over generous sample that is way too much of the hook of the song. Right. Yeah. They just took it and rapped over it. Yeah. Kid Rock would later do that shit. Yeah. Yeah, so Vanilla Ice's sample is obvious, but it went uncredited on the Hooked album because Ichiban Records was a small label and getting sample clearance was too expensive. So back then it made more sense to just kind of fly under the radar and rectify things later if the, you know, if by chance the song blew up. So that's what they did. And that's exactly what happened. You know, they didn't get the sample clearance because they couldn't afford it back when you know, they were pressing this album and selling it to almost nobody. But then once the song became the number one song in America, you know, they had enough money that they could actually settle the matter with lawyers and it all got settled out of court. <laughs> so exactly what we do. <laughs> <laughs> I know. All, all of that rang very eerily <laughs> close to Cal and I on this podcast. <laughs> But that being said, Vanilla Ice did himself no favors when he tried to defend the sampling on TV. Ding, 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 diggy, ding, ding. Ding, 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 diggy, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. That's the way theirs goes. Ours goes ding, 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 diggy, ding, ding. Ding, 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 diggy, ding, ding. That little bitty change. It's not the same. The whole matter was settled out of court, but even here it's hard to discern the exact truth. One article I read claims that Bowie and Queen took 85% of the publishing rights, but then in 2017, Ice himself claimed that he bought the song outright, but this claim uh, is denied by Queen guitarist Brian May. So I, I don't know who's right. I don't, I'm not a lawyer or a legal expert in any fashion, but it just seems weird that Ice would make up him buying the rights to that song if he didn't. Yeah. Uh, God, <laughs> who, who knows? <laughs> yeah. If you want to earn legendary status in the Polishing Turds community, go do the legal homework on this. Look it up. Figure out who owns the publishing rights to Under Pressure by Queen and David Bowie. <laughs> if you see the name Robert Van Winkle, email us at polishingturdspodcast at gmail.com. Furthermore, like Who Let the Dogs Out, the authorship of Ice Ice Baby is complex and somewhat disputed. The instrumental track was composed by DJ Earthquake, who combined the under-pressure bassline with a chant used by black fraternity characters in the Spike Lee film School Days. Yeah, funny, isn't it? Yeah, if you compare that to Riverdance... We are so fucking lame. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Find any white fraternity that's going to do a chant, like, or a dance that's that's that fun. And if we tried it, we would just look worse. I don't know why. I don't, it's just a scientific fact. (laughs) 
Fun fact about that movie, it was one of Spike Lee's first films. It was even before Do the Right Thing, and it featured a very young Lawrence Fishburne and a very young uh, Giancarlo Esposito, Gus Fring from Breaking Bad, oh, is the co-star in that movie. Yeah. So are we are we talking pre-Cowboy Curtis even, Lawrence I think, Fishburne? I think so, yeah. It was like wow. 88, right? Yeah. Wow. So Earthquake uh, borrowed that chant that you just heard, and he combined it with uh, with the David bowie uh, queen uh, baseline and then he showed this instrumental to vanilla ice and vanilla ice just absolutely fell in love with it in a 2020 interview vanilla ice claimed that he wrote the lyrics in a half hour stretch from 12 30 to 1 a.m back in 1988 i believe that it, it reminds me of uh, patrice wilson claiming he wrote friday at 1 a.m yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also, weirdly, uh, in previous interviews, like from the early 90s, he claimed that he wrote the song when he was 16, which would have placed it in like 1983. See, that I don't buy so much because there's no. a few like specific references in that song. I don't think a 16 year old no. would have been privy to. And it's like, you know, it's not a great song, but it's a little bit too sophisticated for me to buy that like a 16 a year old white kid in 1983 is going to yeah. write a song like that. So that's Weird a claim. This is the thing about Vanilla Ice. Like, it's hard to tell like what's true and what's kind of legend. It's always kind of some weird mix in between. And you're supposed to kind of either buy the wholesale packaged version from him or the completely everything is bullshit narrative from the the media. And it's it's, Tough, it's yeah. Just, this is a very murky story. Well, we're good at wallowing in the murk. Yeah. Whatever the case, whoever, whenever he wrote it, eventually another figure emerged demanding credit for Ice Ice Baby. This was none other than the infamous record executive and reputed gangster, Suge Knight. Oh, this piece of shit. <laughs> tell, yeah. us, uh, tell us what you know about Suge Knight, yeah, He's just inescapable in the rap scene. Yeah. I mean, every famous rapper, I feel like, has had some contact with him somehow. Yeah. Um, this dude, as far as I know, is a true gangsta. In, in, yes, he, we, up to and including. I mean, there's on cam. I watched a thing. There's a security camera footage of him running over two guys with his car. That's yeah. That's what he and went he, to jail for. Yeah, he's a yeah. fucking asshole. No, he's uh, we people say reputed, like just to avoid legal trouble. But like, no, he's he's gangster as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> At the time, Knight was representing an artist named Mario Johnson, who had worked with DJ Earthquake back in Dallas. Suge Knight, acting ostensibly on Johnson's behalf, claimed that Johnson had co-written Ice Ice Baby and demanded a percentage of royalties. He started stalking Vanilla Ice throughout LA before eventually showing up at his hotel suite, flanked by armed bodyguards. So, legend has it that Suge Knight dangled Vanilla Ice from a hotel balcony, but in reality, according to Ice and some other people who were there, it was really just the mere implication of violence that was enough to get Ice to bend to Suge Knight's will. And Vanilla Ice like signed over the rights to Mario Johnson right there in that hotel room, and uh, Suge Knight ended up getting uh, a lot of that money, and he used that money to found Death Row Records. Well, so some good from the bad. <laughs> Without Vanilla Ice, there'd be no Death Row Records. How's that I for a polishing turns twist? <laughs> you fuck with Vanilla Ice, you fucking with Death Row. <laughs> no, Vanilla this this was undeniably a bullshit thing to do, and this sucks. Oh yeah, it's it's straight up like old school gangsta style extortion, and it's it's fucked up and. I feel bad for Vanilla Ice in this particular situation, because obviously Mario Johnson didn't write that song. No. 
Like, but, there was one report I, I read that said that, like, uh, like Mario Johnson himself entered that meeting, like, looking, like, bloodied and bruised, like, like they had beat him up. Uh, right. Like, Suge Knight's own guys, like, saying that, like, you're going to tell this story. And like, it's it's just a, it's a really fucked up shakedown. Man. That was, that was uh, the 90s rap scene for you. All right. So, back to our main story. As Ice Ice Baby began to dominate radio, Vanilla was flooded with offers from major record labels, including Def Jam. In fact, Ice was just about to sign with Def Jam when his manager called and begged him to switch to SBK, which had just offered a whopping $1.5 million advance without ever having met Vanilla Ice. Like, literally, the uh, the owner of SBK heard that song either on the radio oh no i was it was uh on the phone somebody played it for him on the phone and based off of that alone he was willing to front the guy 1.5 million dollars jeez like because he had to get his hands on this guy and that's like 1989 money yeah like it's uh it's 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 would have been a lot today and uh just a huge risk for someone that you've never met in a genre that has never gone number one before <laughs> all i can say is it was different times back then <laughs> to, <laughs> to look at vanilla ice and be like that guy is he's the ticket <laughs> i think it goes to like what you were saying earlier like at this time like the number one artist in in the country was mc hammer right like he he was blowing up with uh, you can't touch this and all that Mm -hmm. but they knew that rap had a higher ceiling than that if they could just get a certain type of face on it (laughs) a white face you know what i was yeah but like dude like but but unfortunately they were right like right like dude imagine being like so racist that mc hammer is too much for you (laughs) so you know just if you can imagine an alternate history where vanilla ice did sign with def jam records his career probably would have turned out a little bit different you know like he may have made slightly better less overtly commercial music he probably would have had more street cred you know less street cred issues than he did Mm -hmm. but you know in the end he he went where the money was you know and that's that's the story of a lot of artists right i would say that seems like a a theme on our show yeah and again, like, I feel like I always have to point this out. I don't know if I would have done things differently. No, I, I can't say I would either. Like 1.5 million, if you've like never seen money before, he grew up relatively poor. If you've never seen that kind of money before, someone says to you, I can make you a millionaire literally tomorrow. How do you, how do you say no to that? <sighs> right. Let's say even if someone offers you this money and your career just goes down the tubes, you're a fucking millionaire. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, at some point, artistic integrity dies. Yeah, you you still got to drive a Ferrari for a little bit. In signing with SBK, Vanilla Ice made something of a Faustian bargain. On the one hand, it brought him wealth and fame that just a few months earlier seemed unimaginable. But in the process, SBK changed his image to appeal to pop audiences and pressured him into a series of bad decisions that would irreparably damage his credibility. The most obvious change concerned Ice's physical appearance. Think about how you remember Vanilla Ice from the 90s. He's got like the sequin shirt, the baggy hammer pants, the shaved eyebrows, the pompadour haircut, the stuff we were talking about earlier. None of that was his idea. It was basically just SBK's attempt to remake him into a white version of MC Hammer. You know, who, like we said, he was tearing up the charts at that point. So in the corporate record industry's eyes, this makes sense. This is what sells. 
people like these big baggy pants and a guy yep. dancing like a goofball on stage. Well, and it's it's a whole bunch of people that understand rap even less than you or I. Yes, exactly. Making these decisions. This is a brand new thing for people. Like uh, people, maybe there's a certain type of consumer that likes the idea of rhyming verses over a beat, but doesn't understand why there has to be like uh, track suits and talks of uh, nine millimeters. Like, well, I don't even know what a nine millimeter is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you just you clean it up and you give them something that they can at least kind of understand. And then I think the corniest thing of all that SBK did was they put him in this giant American flag suit. And that just that just looks so dumb. How did we say that? I feel like that would work again right now. It would. Yeah. And it especially worked back in uh, the early 90s because the Gulf War was happening right at that exact moment. And America was just in this hyper nationalistic, hyper jingoistic move. So again, it made sense in that particular moment. Yeah. But it just didn't age I mean, let, very let well. Let me posit this to you. Let's say some country, up and coming country star. Actually, let's take this one step further. Let's say we they want to market a black country star yeah. and they make him wear a Trump outfit <laughs> i hate to say it that would take off and that would work it it actually would um actually there is a country artist that ice works with later on a guy named uh, cowboy troy mm. and that's like pretty much his exact game is that he's black and that he's making country that's like loosely hip-hop inspired sure but he's also like super pro-conservative pro-america pro-republican and so it's like uh, a black guy that your fox news watching uncle can get behind like that's the whole appeal of cowboy troy and that's his whole career trajectory I don't know a lot about him, but based off that, fuck Troy. <laughs> More importantly, fuck that Fox News watching guy, but... Yeah. <laughs> SBK bought the rights to the Hooked album and repackaged it as To The Extreme. Extreme! Extreme! This album isn't great, but it's honestly not as terrible as you might think. Ice Ice Baby is, in my opinion, a pretty catchy song, and there are maybe three or four other songs that hold up reasonably well. But the rest of the album is basically straight filler. And in my view, the low point on the album is a smarmy love ballad called I Love You. soundtrack do you think that could fit into well that's the most baffling thing we think of. you know how they say about like uh barry white and isaac hayes like a lot of babies were made of these songs 
Fun fact, if you play this song while you make love, it's impossible to conceive a child. <laughs> the, the egg just will reject the sperm. Yes. It's, it's natural birth control. Her vagina will seal itself shut. I love you. Because I love you. It just, it's like they were trying to write the worst lyrics Dude, possible. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, I was having trouble thinking of something to say. I get all choked up. The words won't come out. <laughs> it just won't come out. And you know, part of the part of the reason why Ice did get so big, like, is literally just his looks. Like, he's a okay, he's a handsome looking guy. You know. Yeah, I did notice that. I'll I'll admit it. Like, he's like he's got that kind of chiseled, like, strong jawed teen heartthrob vibe going on and like when he blew up a lot of his fans were like 13 year old girls yep so the record industry clearly recognized that and they made him do this song <laughs> uh, this is one of those ones though that like i just feel like you could do better and like if he'd just taken 20 extra minutes on these words <laughs> i know he could have been markedly better <laughs> i know it's like like this is a love song written by somebody who's spent three days learning english <laughs> Sure, you know your homework's due. You're like cramming out the last paragraphs of your essay. I wouldn't uh, be. Well, it's, a, it's a love song, so I'll just say I love you a couple Every times. Every sunset makes me think of you. <laughs> <laughs> so, needless to say, to the extreme was a massive success. It's truly impossible to overstate just how big Vanilla Ice blew up in such a short amount of time. The album came out in September and was number one by early November. It would go on to sell 11 million copies in the United States. At the peak of Ice Mania, there was a Vanilla Ice doll, a comic book, a board game, a ghost-written autobiography, and of course, a cameo in the movie Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. Gonna rock the town without being seen Have you ever seen a turtle get down? Slamming and jamming to the new swing sound Yeah, everybody let's move Vanilla is filled with a new jack groove Gonna rock and roll the place With the power of the ninja turtle face Iceman, you know I'm not playing Devastate the show what the turtles are saying Ninja, ninja, rap Ninja, ninja, rap Ninja, ninja, rap all right so cal i have a surprise for you um so there is one other thing that they produced during the the height of ice mania it is actually a scholastic children's book that is uh that features vanilla ice and mc hammer Dude. <laughs> I found out that they they made a children's book about Vanilla Ice and MC Hammer, and I it was only like six bucks on Amazon, so I just bought it. This has the most '90s cover I've ever seen. <laughs> Show, uh, tell everyone the title. It's the hip hop never stops, <laughs> and it says eight pages of slamming photos. Slamming. <laughs> 
it's like honestly like this little book and you could read the whole thing in like an hour but like it's this would be worthy of its own like podcast mini-sode it's just such a like disney-fied version of the stories of vanilla ice and mc hammer and it gives you such insight into way the way that these characters were being marketed dude it has that really nice like old book smell yeah <laughs> no no dude i i am so glad that i that that i found this hold on i want i want to look at the slamming photos quick oh yeah let's like just tell everybody what you see in this this little photo insert they have in the middle I mean, it's basically just them yeah but i love it. it's it's these like little pictures put up against these like do you know that 90 that it, it's like the epitome of the 90s it's that blue and purple swirl thing that they yeah, put the on solo all the cup, cups the one that uh fuck jerry stole yeah, yeah. it the all it, it basically is variants of that style 90s background and it's these tiny pictures over that <laughs> yeah like they're clearly just press photos that they just gave to scholastic it looks like this whole thing was thrown together like over a weekend there uh there's i don't know there's a couple of passages in there that are interesting it would have been funny if they included that part we used in the open when he's like kiss, kiss my, my white, white butt, butt. <laughs> no so this is a this is printed in february of 91 and that was like almost like the exact peak of all of this stuff at one point they talk about what it's like to be on vanilla ice's uh jet plane he flew from city to city in his plane with eight members of the vanilla ice posse vips his road manager, his dancers, his DJ, and others who helped make the tour run smoothly. He took a private plane mostly because it was more convenient than taking regular commercial flights. Like, why do they have to justify that? Like, <laughs> it's like, anyone would take a private plane if they could. Yeah, no shit. In order to make a lot of, or sorry, in order to make it to a lot of his dates, Ice has to be able to fly off at a moment's notice. It's impossible to do that on regular airline. Also, private planes are much more comfortable to travel in than regular passenger planes. <laughs> Again, Why is there an ad for passenger <laughs> private planes in this? Like they had to, they go to a, they spend a whole paragraph justifying his use of a private plane. It's just hey, he's rich; he doesn't want to fly with you commoners. Right? It's like every everyone hates flying. Ice's plane has a stereo system, a full kitchen, and places for Ice and the VIP members to catch up on some much-needed sleep. Ice's plane is sort of like a flying hotel room. <laughs> So they so the, so eventually they they talk about him doing the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie and they talk about him doing his next album and they say some people in the record business say he may have to soften his hard-edged rap to please the younger kids <laughs> who will discover him in the Turtles movie but Ice definitely doesn't agree. Uh Ice says that you know he goes on to say that the new album will have the same hard-hitting straight from the streets feel that to the extreme has. <laughs> <laughs> like i love you <laughs> like this is like this is a book about rappers for people that have never heard any other rapper yeah they're like trying to soften it as much as possible i know like there's no nwa scholastic book for kids <laughs> there should be <laughs> there there ought to be maybe maybe in today's world we can do that or maybe cal and i can pen it but <laughs> but no like this is just <laughs> This is just like they're already soft commercial rap watered down and made even more soft so that the most skeptical racist white parents can just like kind of digest <laughs> right. like, oh, I know that my kid likes this vanilla ice stuff, but I'm really worried about that hip hop stuff. They they say it endorses violence from this ghetto. Oh, well, he has a private plane. 
Oh. It's like a, a flying hotel room. Oh, he's not that bad. He says that kids shouldn't do drugs, and he says that the next album's not going to be as hard-edged. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I just, I don't know, that's, that's just, it's just a beautiful document all around. It's, yeah. <laughs> I wish I was better with words so I could describe it eloquently to you, but <laughs> it's pretty sweet. <laughs> The downfall of Vanilla Ice was as steep and sudden as his rise. In November of 91, barely a week after To the Extreme became the number one album, the Dallas Morning News put out a front-page story that questioned Ice's credibility. Basically, all this stemmed from a press release that SBK had put out. Apparently, they put it out with Ice's, without Ice's permission. And it exaggerated a lot of details about Ice's upbringing. Here are a few examples. So, you know, the press release claimed that Ice was exclusively from Miami. And they did this because, like, kind of in the context of those times, like, Miami was a respected city, you know, for rap music. There was the whole Miami bass scene that we kind of alluded to in the Who Let the Dogs Out episode. So it was cool to be from Miami. It wasn't cool to be from Dallas. (laughs) It's still not cool to be from Dallas. (laughs) No. Sorry, y'all. Sorry, y'all. Sorry, Post Malone. <laughs> but, uh, but the, of course, the reality was he did grow up partly in Miami, but partly in Dallas. But this kind of like pissed off the people of Dallas because right. that was where he got his start. And then like in interviews, he's like completely snubbing them. So this is why, you know. The- I, I get that, man, because I take big pride in like Wisconsin artists and stuff. Yeah. I'd be annoyed if they tried to shun it. Like, you know, imagine that like, you know. Like someday, like years down the road, this podcast takes takes off. We move out to L.A. or New York, and we're like, yeah, we 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 grew up in L.A. Fuck Wisconsin, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, fuck Wisconsin for like a whole all sorts of different reasons, right. but also <laughs> we really we're from here and we kind of love it in so, our own. Sick we, way. we couldn't pull it off though. They'd know from the way we say "o's" like right away. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh. And uh, another thing the press release claimed was that uh, it said that Vanilla Ice went to high school with Luther Campbell from Two Live Crew, when in fact, he attended a lot of different high schools. He was constantly bouncing around and like getting kicked out of some of them. Mm-hmm. But he did briefly attend one of the schools that uh, Luther Campbell went to. Yeah, So that was another thing. The press release also claimed that Vanilla Ice was a national motocross champion, when in fact he was a regional motocross champion. That is a world of difference. Yeah, like, that is such a scandal that there should have been congressional inquiries on this subject. <laughs> like, regional motocross, any anyone can do that, Cal. You or I can yeah. <laughs> get on a motorcycle and become a regional motocross champion. <laughs> that's fucking easy. But national, that's serious shit. But again, like, like you're, you know, we're starting to develop a theme here. Like, these are definitely discrepancies. They're definitely, you know, exaggerations, but they're not like outright lies. Right. It's not like, I'm trying to think of a, what's, a, what's an example of like some like very obvious bullshit claim? Like, the, like the, uh, the rigged election, you know, sure. maybe it'd be something like that. That's like just an obvious outright fabrication. But like, this is just like kind of typical marketing bullshit and it was easier to get away with this shit at a time yeah where, you didn't just have google you couldn't just look this up yeah like you if you wanted to learn about vanilla ice like the only way you could was by like you know, <laughs> going to city hall and looking up his files <laughs> like. yeah so you pretty much you got the press release and like that was gospel for you but perhaps the most devastating thing that this dallas morning news article revealed was ice's real name which as we've said before Rob Van Winkle. God. 
That is just unfortunate. I do feel bad for the guy, like uh, having a name, having Van Winkle in your name. Yeah, that's just, it's a rough one. You know, like you said, every single one of those lies, not a, not a big deal on its own. Yeah. But yeah, it, it has an effect where it adds up where you start going, whoa, what else isn't true, you know? Yeah, and and this kind of snowballed into a thing of uh, questioning Ice's authenticity as a rapper. Yeah, and that makes sense. Yeah. And this is a, another thing to keep in mind about this whole episode is that this is right after the Millie Vanilli scandal happened. So you remember what that's all about, Cal? Right. They were the the original got caught lip syncing, right? Yeah. Like, and it wasn't just that they were lip syncing. It was that they hadn't sung their own voices on that album. And uh, they it was really just like two... So it's uh, two dancers they're marketing as artists. Exactly. Like, yeah. it was actually some like 40-year-old guys that did, did the singing of Millie Vanilli, but they hired two like younger, more attractive guys to be the face of it. And sure. they, got, they got caught lip syncing in public. And it was just a massive scandal. They had to give back this Grammy that they won. So it was just a... Uh, is a major scandal in the music industry and people who were covering the music business were kind of on their toes looking for the next like big fraud in sure. music. So it was just really bad timing for Vanilla Ice. And yeah, like he wasn't from the streets in the sense that Easy E or Ice Cube were from the streets. But like like we said before, it's not like he was totally totally soft. Yeah, he didn't grow up in some suburb and Yeah. He definitely obviously benefited from white privilege, what we now call white privilege in a lot of ways. But he also took a lot of risks, like seeking out this subculture that the mainstream society looked down upon. Yeah. And, uh, well, and then winning them over. Yeah. Like that, that bar story <laughs> still is in my head. Like, no, he had to, he had to work very, very hard yeah. to win over a very, very skeptical black audience who was yep. not, who was looking for any excuse to give him shit. And he, and he like genuinely like impressed them. Yeah. So the press just kind of zeroed in on these kind of minor falsehoods in his biography and they just started to attack him as this manufactured product. Hip-hop purists feared that Vanilla Ice's brand of simplistic, commercialized rap would overtake their once-inventive, renegade genre. Ice was lambasted as a modern-day Elvis, a white imposter shamelessly cashing in on a stolen black art form. This, this is a critique that Ice himself really resented. He did not like being compared to Elvis. Well, I think this is where that, that deal with SBK turned out to be a deal with the devil. Yeah. I don't think he, like like you've already said, I don't think he would have had this reputation if he had signed with Def Jam instead. No. He would have been able to stay a little more legit, and now he's making stupid I Love You songs, and <laughs> everybody is, yeah, I, the critique has merit because of what they pushed him to do. And it was and it, because he was the number one rapper, and he was the first rapper that a lot of people were listening to that a lot of a lot of radio stations that didn't play rap before started playing rap because of vanilla ice right. so for a very brief time he was the face of rap and just imagine if you're like uh, some you know struggling black artist that made really good inventive yeah. rap back in the 80s and like all of your hard work lays the groundwork for this guy to just yeah. sell 10 million records i'd be pretty pissed off too yeah that's an absolute slap in the face it's one thing when he's opening for uh, NWA and Sir Mexalot and, and the other guys he opened for. Like if he had just like been like a like a ride along, 
or like uh, kind of an also ran in the rap scene, which is kind of more deserving of his actual talent level. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't have gotten this level of criticism, but but because he was number one, because the entire country was zeroed in on this one guy, again, in an era where there's no YouTube, there's like still mo- like there's mostly three channels. Like to be like that big, you were insanely, insanely big. Yeah, when you put it that way, it makes perfect sense. Meanwhile, the corporate exploitation just got cringier and cringier. In March of 91, SBK put out an ill-conceived live album called Extremely Live. <laughs> extreme! I don't know why they love marketing him as extreme. Dude, everything was extreme back then. <laughs> I know. Like, the, especially this, the irony of like you have the most like middle-of-the-road inoffensive rapper <laughs> being marketed as extreme yeah, he has a scholastic book <laughs> what what happened to uh softening up for the kids yeah, right so this album was an obvious cash grab that offers nothing of value as recorded music and again it's not that vanilla ice didn't put on a good live show but most of what's good about his performances were the dancing on stage which a live album just can't capture Thus, we're left with a lot of awkward moments like this. the lyrics of this one go yeah go, go. <laughs> it's just like watching it's like going to a movie theater and like putting a blindfold on yeah like when it comes time to to watch it like you're you're really just getting a very like handicapped version of the whole experience you're buying like a cd version of stomp or something <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but the peak of the cringe came in october of 91 when universal pictures released the movie cool as ice Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) While this was probably intended as some version of Purple Rain meets Rebel Without a Cause, in reality, it's a laughably bad film with a threadbare plot and god-awful acting. So yeah, I I actually watched this piece of shit all the way through. <laughs> yeah, you really are a trooper for this series. <laughs> and I just like guys, I can't describe to you how dumb this movie is. Like it's like okay, Vanilla Ice can't act, but like that happens a lot. Like, you know, Shaq couldn't act right. in the beginning, but they still built halfway decent movies around him. This movie like there's there's almost no plot to it. He was like, Shaq was like a genie or some shit, right? Or yeah. like an alien, I think, was no, one the, of them. Like or? in this film, like Vanilla Ice basically plays like some kind of version of himself. And he drive he is with this like motorcycle crew and they get stranded in this one little town and they have to, cause they have to fix one of the, the gang's bikes. And like half the film is like them sitting around waiting for them to fix the bike. And they show these reaction shots of the various characters, like sitting around being bored. And like, <laughs> that's called being cool as ice. Yeah. And, uh, and of course there's a lot of shots of him like dancing and shit and it's supposed to be this uh, romance where he wins over this uh, this woman, but there's like no 
There's no build up to it. There's no emotional moment that connects the two of them. Like there's just there's no romance in this romance. It's just it's it really belongs in the category of like the room or troll sure. two. Is it's truly one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Wow. So yeah. And I know Nick and I can attest. <laughs> no, I <laughs> that puts it very low in the spectrum of films. I'm a big movie guy. I've seen a lot of bad movies. Like this one is unbelievably awful. But I think awful in a pretty hilarious way. It really is amazing how it, like he has this insane skyrocket and then just as quickly as we got into it, we're over it. Yeah. I, you, I'm sure that some studio executives sitting here baffled why this movie failed. And this whole thing, uh, they started filming in April of 91. And I think they approached him about the idea in like February or March, which would have given the uh, the writer maybe a month to write uh, this full-length screenplay which is not enough time no like even if you're fucking paul schrader that's really under the gun like the movie the, the movie has no plot it's just the whole point of it is to show vanilla ice being cool dancing and they're just hoping that that's enough for people to come in because they want to see more vanilla ice there's one uh scene in the movie where he finds this this little love interest that he discovers he goes to he finds her home and he goes to the door where her parents live and he knocks on the door and his knock is literally just like he just it's just (laughs) one it's just one single pound on the door (laughs) that's that's his knock (laughs) can you go check if someone cracked their head on the door (laughs) did someone fall down It's it's like, imagine somebody actually doing that. You'd think they were the biggest asshole in the world. (laughs) Uh, That's actually, you know, I live with kids. I literally would think someone fell down and hit their head. (laughs) Like, who's knocked out? Crap. And then, the, and then they later they get into this whole thing where like apparently the the girl's dad is being hunted down by these two gangsters, you know, because of some like like witness protection shit. And the dad Jeez. is, and the dad like doesn't react to it at all. Like he's like not, he doesn't seem appropriately worried that like <laughs> these gangsters are hunting him down. And he doesn't, and he leaves the door unlocked, and one of his kids alone in the house. So like at the at the peak of the the film, like I'm sorry, I'm spoiling it. <laughs> Darn, I know, I know you're all disappointed, but like the the climax of the movie, like the gangsters come into the home, and the dad has already been warned that these guys are on his trail, and yet somehow he leaves an eight year old kid alone, <laughs> home alone, Hold in the, down the fort, Henry. <laughs> yeah, leaves the door unlocked, and these gangsters come in, steal the kid, and Vanilla Ice, of course, ends up like uh, tracking the kid down before the police can, and he saves the day with his motorcycle. I was going to ask you, does he? do it on like a motocross bike he does yeah and uh the gangsters have guns but somehow he disarms them with like just his Dan- motorcycle. dance moves <laughs> yeah <laughs> he drives them the motorcycle through a wall and uh and that like is enough to like knock these guys down because remember this is rated pg right like like so like you can't have any like actual violence or sex in the movie sure so that's also kind of a, a handicap that they were working with I don't think that you will be surprised to learn that this film did not do very well at the box office. It uh, was made on a $6 million budget. Honestly, that surprised me. It looks like a $2 million film at the most. I'm sure like half the money went to Vanilla Ice himself. Sure. But it, it made about uh, $1.2 million worldwide at the box office. It was only in theaters for three weeks. But 
this movie earned Vanilla Ice a Razzie for Worst New Star. That's our second Razzie mention. <laughs> yeah. I know. So, is it, how, Why is it so many terrible music artists transitioned into terrible film and filmmaking? <laughs> to his credit, he didn't direct this. Like he, he purely did this for the money. He didn't actually try to go out and take over Hollywood the way Fred Durst tried to <laughs> right. do. So he didn't embarrass himself that much. Over the course of a year, Vanilla Heist had gone from America's hottest pop star to a cultural punching bag. As 1992 rolled in, the music scene was dominated by Seattle grunge and West Coast gangster rap, making Ice's brand of danceable hip-hop seem cheesy by comparison. I really think this was like the death knell, is that he happened to get big right before music takes a turn towards stuff that's like a lot more harder-edged, and it just really didn't look good after that. I can completely see that. I mean, watching some of those videos we've watched and in, in samples we've played, it's like a time capsule. Yeah. He, you can tell it's just from a different era. Yeah, there was, a, there was a time where that shit just seemed really, really cool. But for whatever reason, America just got tired of it. Mm-hmm. And people yeah, started, serious now. Yeah, people started calling it out for what it was. These things happen. Exhausted by both the criticism and the nonstop touring, in 1993, Ice took a break from music and focused on his other passions, including motocross and competitive jet ski racing. Fun fact, Cal, at one point, Vanilla Ice was the number six ranked jet ski racer in the world. Are we sure? Are we sure he wasn't <laughs> no, this number is verifiable. six? I mean, he wasn't number six regionally? <laughs> no. I mean, well, according to Wikipedia, granted, like I haven't like looked at all the registries of the competitive jet ski. <laughs> yeah, what, what have we found out? He's like he's number six of like twelve. <laughs> like, like, twelve guys doing this. I don't know. Like uh, he seems like really comfortable in this world, and uh, he has like he's a, he has a genuine passion for these uh, extreme. No, sports. I believe it. I mean, because you can tell too, just from his dancing and stuff. He's a coordinated, athletic yeah, person. He, he's physically very agile and. I don't know anything about the competitive jet ski community. Like, I imagine they're like, n- no offense if you're like part of that yes, world. Like, sorry. <laughs> no, it's like, it's a respectable sport. I'm I sure. I think there's a, like, there's a but, very small chance. <laughs> but just in case. No, like, but, you know, just imagine being just like a huge fan of that. And then like, you're, you're following your favorite race or something. <laughs> and, and he gets beat by a guy named Rob Van Winkle. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and they sh- and they show like the the post match you know the post race interview of this guy and like where did that guy looks familiar? Where have I <laughs> seen this dude okay. before? That's Teenage <laughs> Mutant Ninja Turtles too. <laughs> Is that the guy that's saying Ice Ice Baby? Will it ever stop? <laughs> when I <laughs> will it ever stop? When I start jet ski racing? <laughs> Why is this guy taking over everything I love? <laughs> In 1994, Vanilla Ice reemerged with a new album called Mind Blowin'. <laughs> For this one, he completely remade his image. Gone were the pompadour haircuts and the fancy suits, replaced by baggy jeans and dreadlocks. The music was harder, rougher, and decidedly influenced by G-Funk. Let's take a listen. A dope hit, cause a few suckers need to 
the dirt slip Jealous cause I went multi-platinum Now I'm gonna blast them in the head to the dead with my magnum Lyrics might be simplistic But I'm no simp on the strip Cause I know how to pimp it Now I got grip and suckers keep sinking in my quicksand Vanilla Ice vocal hitman Got the number three in my crosses Sitting on the rooftops and the fool's drop pop goes a weasel was a big for flop flop The president I get record cause it wasn't hip hop pop But this ain't a diss cause you so goes Till I made a killing cause it ain't even a death of 11 million Give him a round spice and my DJ's on the slice And vanilla ice is back on the map with the wrath of the ice okay. <laughs> Ain't nothing but a G thing baby <laughs> Eric, I'm gonna attempt to describe this video quick <laughs> This yeah. is like yeah, so he's he's like shirtless and he looks like uh, Stephen Baldwin in Biodome. He's got like these short dreads. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. He looks like this, like that that guy that you knew in college that like sold you really seedy weed. Yeah, and then it, like he, it's him. It's just these chicks doing you know early version of twerking <laughs> over and over. And then uh, he's walk. What is it like a runway? He's got this spot where he's rapping. It's like a show. He's got all these real random black guys nodding, looking really serious. Yeah, yeah. Like, so this they're not, is the they're real not, shit. It's not doing like choreographed, like highly intricate dance moves. They're like they're doing the G thing. They're just yeah. like nodding and bobbing their heads. Clearly, like, yeah. he's responding to gangster rap. It's, yes. it's these guys 100%. are looking at him like, yeah, ice is hard now. Ice <laughs> is hard. Yeah. So and actually, that song, uh, he's kind of in part responding to the third bass pop goes the weasel song. So he says at one point. Lyrics might be simplistic, but a in a simp. At least he's admitting Which means, that means yeah. something different back then than now, right? Or is that is that old slang that's come back? I think it might be old slang that came back, like because people say okay. simp. People say simp now, but I think that it huh. meant just like kind of uh, some version of that back then. Right, if someone more in touch than me knows, let me know. Yeah, but I just think it's interesting that he would concede the fact that his lyrics are in fact simplistic. So. A lot of mind blowing is uh, just concerned with him responding to his critics. Um, and it's the same kind of unconvincing, like, I, I don't give a fuck what y'all think, you know, that kind of defensiveness right. that we saw in Limp Bizkit, right. right? Yeah, if you don't care, why did you write a whole album about it? <laughs> yeah. But like, he's trying to like uh, show off how tough he is, you know, he's, uh, he's trying to get with the times. Actually, MC Hammer did the same thing around this period. He put out a gangsta album and it's just as cringy. Right. I wouldn't have even done that corny shit if it weren't for the money. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, another thing about this album that a lot of critics picked up on, like, you know, you read a lot of reviews from the time and it's like, oh, Vanilla Ice is rapping about drugs now, but really like he only raps about weed. Like, but that was enough in those days sure. to like get branded as like really edgy and yeah. uh, you know dangerous. Nowadays, we know weed is like drugs light. Yeah, it barely yeah. counts. I know, but like back then, like there were still like a sizable portion of Americans that like uh, thought that like have a bag of weed was equivalent to like shooting up heroin. <laughs> those folks are still out there. We again, Wisconsin <laughs> yeah, they're, kids. They're slowly dying, but <laughs> yeah, we live in Wisconsin. I we still meet people like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. So let's listen to one of the songs where he talks about weed. And this song is called Roll Em Up. Some herbs and spice 
nicest So I can feel nicest The breeze Pulling like I saw my tree Cause it's a I-C-E And you know I got to feel it I score it And I ain't gotta steal it So bring on the sack that's fat And you know I love my ism And the 1.5 Cause I get rhythm Every time I get a little hit Of the um The skunk and the funk Feels good to my lungs Fire the ism is my desire and I need to get it quick Cause it's calling me Coming on me up, please, I see me Not like the hootie makes the week to start the party Nick, I think we've been doing this show too long Because I <laughs> did not hate that I kind of like that Actually, you know what the thing about this this whole album, Cal, is Like, of all the Ice albums that I listen to This is probably my favorite Like, it, I mean, I none of them are like great None of them are things that I would listen to on my own time of my own free will. But this is the one, this is the only one that I thought like, I don't like, I don't, I had no problem with that. This is fine. My biggest beef with that is, you know, we, we just heard what he used to sound like an album ago (laughs) and now we're doing this. Yeah. How can he turn around and argue? He's not a corporate creation. That's just hopping on the, the wave of whatever's getting big. Yeah. Like three years ago, I used to really love like doing a pompadour haircut and like dressing up in these big sequined hammer (laughs) pants. But then I suddenly just changed my mind one day. And now I I like wearing dreadlocks and uh, drinking forties before a burning trash can. I I don't dance anymore either. I I rap my, you know, I use my hands to rap. Yeah. I totally changed my entire approach to this genre. And it's got nothing to do with the fact that Dre and Snoop Dogg are top in the charts right now yeah like it's just my totally my own idea (laughs) another thing about this song cal is so you and i have been hanging around stoners for quite a long time now have you ever once heard anyone refer to marijuana as the hootie mac (laughs) no is, I didn't actually know what they were saying. I, yeah, it says, roll up, roll him up, roll up the Hootie Mac. Okay. That sounds like a you know slang for like a certain McDonald's menu item. <laughs> we like should start calling the, the, the Hootie Mac's 8% THC. We should start calling it that and just see if it the catches on. Yeah. Want to smoke some Hootie Mac, bro? <laughs> Dude, you got any Hootie Mac? <laughs> what? <laughs> what the fuck? So, Mind Blowing was a commercial disaster. It sold just 42,000 copies and failed to chart. Recall that just three or four years earlier, he had sold 11 million records. So, this was, this is just an epic downfall. And again, a shame because, like, this is a better album than To the Extreme. Well, do, do you think if he had done it not under the Vanilla Ice name, it would it? I don't think you. I don't think you can. Like, I don't think you can just like pretend to be a totally new guy. I honestly don't know where. I, I think it was inevitable. I think even if he had made an album that's as good as the Chronic, I, I think people still just didn't want to hear it. Like, right? He was you're passe. still Vanilla Ice. Yeah. So that was that was he was really just kind of fucked. You know. So the album tanked. Ice was dropped by SBK, and just it just felt for all the world like his career was over at this point. Isolated and depressed, Ice holed up in his Florida mansion and retreated into a lifestyle of hard drugs and nonstop partying. He claimed that at one point he wouldn't leave his house for months. If a pizza got delivered to his mansion, he'd have someone else pick it up just to avoid showing his face. It's like, uh, it just reminds me of uh, Citizen Kane, you know? Mm-hmm. Where like you've got like everything you want in the world, you've got all this money, but you have no connection to humanity. Yeah. And it's just totally tragic. Yeah. It was a true deal with the devil. I'll say it again. He, the money wasn't even worth it, it sounds like. Yeah. 
like and all the drugs in the world like just can't hide that embarrassment or that just uh just the feeling that you're a, a failure somehow the nihilistic indulgence reached its peak on july 4th 1994 when after a long day of partying vanilla ice attempted suicide by consuming every drug he could get his hands on miraculously he survived and the incident turned into a wake-up call ice cleaned up his act swore off hard drugs and eventually would re-emerge with yet another musical identity He's a chameleon. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we present to you the new, improved Vanilla Ice. I can't seem to erase the stain. In my brain, things will never be the same. I remember all the lies. Fucked up, now realize. Never had a chance as a kid, I was a man. Fight after fight wasn't really what I planned. Father, whoever you are, keep my mother down. All I see is scars and memories. What about me? Throw me through the window to watch the TV. Where did I get this anger? Okay, <laughs> we're into the, we're into new metal now. Yeah, so this is 1998. Like, uh, new metal is just starting to kind of break out, and uh, Vanilla Ice releases this album, which is called "Hard to Swallow." Very on the nose title. It's ballsy of him to hear see things like corn and Limp Bizkit, or what have you, yeah. starting to rise up and think Vanilla Ice is a name that could keep up. <laughs> It's, it's almost like he's in denial of that the fact that he's not cool. And the the interesting thing about this record is that it was produced by Ross Robinson. Uh, so we we've talked about Ross Robinson on yep. this show. He produced Corn's uh, first few albums. He produced uh, Limp Bizkit's debut album. He did work with uh, Deftones. After this one, he worked with uh, Slipknot and just like a lot of like legendary new metal bands. So like this guy was like like one of the hottest you know, rock producers out there. It was a big risk for him to take on Vanilla Ice. Yeah. But apparently, uh, like sometime in the mid-90s, Vanilla Ice had this idea to combine rock with rap, you know, much like Fred Durst did sure. back in Jacksonville. He just didn't realize that people were already doing it. And so he, like, he, someone turned him on to new metal and he just, like, thought, where have you been all my life? Right. <laughs> I think it also has something to do with the fact that, like, by this point, he was completely shut out of the black community. These are the la- this is the last audience. Like, you you know what a what a typical new metal mm-hmm. like listener in 1998 is. <laughs> yes. Like, it's it's the same kind of guy who would be watching like WCW wrestling. You know, like uh, drinking natty ice, like, yeah. and uh, you know, hanging out in trailer parks, like. That's that becomes Vanilla Ice's audience during this period. That's like that's the last untapped market he has. This guy has the most schizophrenic discography. Yes, you know if you were to like, it only gets weirder too. There's there's other shit I'm about oh, to wow, show you okay. that like it 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 gets even crazier. All right, then I will not hold us up. <laughs> no, but uh, like I don't know, like what just what do you think of it musically speaking, Cal? 
so I don't I don't think that highly of most of new metal. But as we talked about a lot in Limp Biscuit, you can infuse a lot of creativity if you try. Yeah. And this does not have that. This is very much just generic chords. Yes. Very uh, much so. Yeah, it, it's about as paint by numbers new metal as you can get. And that seems to be what he does to all these genres he hops <laughs> <Yeah>. on. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he he can understand a genre enough to ape it but not quite enough to like yeah, bring he's not anything gonna, new to it right he's not adding anything actually listening to this album uh made me appreciate limp biscuits first album a lot more because like he's he's doing the same thing but it's not nearly as effective well he's missing he's missing john otto and west borland he's missing guys that can that's a big part of it for yeah. sure like like the instrumentation is very just kind of uninteresting on this album and the other thing that kind of bugged me about hard to swallow was that they do like the dj turntable noises but it just doesn't mesh very well Mm -hmm. with the the guitars and it just made me realize like it's very tough to actually pull that off you need someone with the depth of a dj lethal or somebody like that there is one kind of interesting thing about this album it's not interesting in terms of like being a good song but just like for the sheer like irony factor it's a song called too cold which is a reworking of Ice Ice Baby. Oh, man. All right, let's do it. Hard to Swallow received negative reviews and only sold around 100,000 copies, but nonetheless it did help Vanilla Ice reestablish his career with a new audience. By this point, Ice was sporting tattoos, a goatee, and a backwards baseball cap a la Fred Durst. So like, he, he really is trying to like imitate that look. Yeah. With his new sound and image, Ice toured the country playing small venues and attracting new fans in the alt-metal underworld. Like, so he's, uh, he's playing all these, like, little clubs and these, like, you know, probably backyard motorcycle, you know, backyard wrestling kind of gigs. But, like, <laughs> but he's, like, you know, he's building an entirely new audience for, like, basically the third time in his career. First, it was, like, genuine black rap fans. Then it was teen girls. Now it's, like, these, like, you know, douche bros in right. wife beater shirts. Like, <laughs> Have you heard Vanilla Ice lately? <laughs> Dude, it's like a fucking new Vanilla Ice, and he really is extreme this time. (laughs) Ice continued this musical direction with his 2001 album, Bipolar. This was initially supposed to be a double album consisting of a rock disc called Scabs. What the That's Scabs spelled (laughs) S-K-A-B-Z. Yeah, so a a rock song 
Yeah, so a rock album called Scabs and a rap album called Bomb the System. Yeah. <laughs> so I can't I can't get over how dumb those titles are. Okay, yeah. So it's supposed to be a double album, but at one point they just decided to combine both of it on one disc. I'm sure that went great. Yeah. I, it, <laughs> All right, let's find out. <laughs> okay, so this is uh, from the Scabs disc. if you were a kind of a fan of the original ice ice baby and you're like i wonder what you he's hear up this to shit, now yeah. you hear this yeah it just that must have been a mind fuck <laughs> i think that but i think that's what he was going for it's just like he was so embarrassed by that old image that he's just he's gonna do whatever it takes to throw that off sure and like there was a time where this stuff didn't seem corny it seemed legitimately hard and edgy <laughs> Yeah, so you get like uh, just this really awful like discount limp biscuit, like you were saying when we were off air. So my favorite part of that song is the lyrics. Um, this is this is in the uh, pre-chorus. To die is all we got. Six feet down, our bodies rot. As our souls get released, next our bodies lay deceased. Yeah, that's <laughs> like it's this thirteen-year-old at Hot Topic poetry. <laughs> Like his his lyrics are never not cringy. No. So the rap side of this album is slightly less bad, and that's mostly because Ice shares the mic with more legit rappers like La the Dark Man and Chuck D. I mean, yeah, he got Chuck D on one of the tracks. Wow. But then again, he also got Insane Clown Posse on one of the tracks, so he he balances it out. <laughs> he actually like uh, he started doing like Gathering of the Juggalos around this time, so like that he, makes perfect sense. It, yeah, that's exactly the crowd that he's after yep. at this point. So he's he's really tight with the Juggalo universe. God, what dirt does he have on Chuck D to get him to <laughs> show up? Chuck D, like he respected him back in the day, and apparently still does. So that is a testament to like Chuck D's patience, yeah, like, and forgiveness. But the other thing is that like you know Ice produces most of his songs, and on this album he's actually like the production is actually pretty solid, even when the lyrics are shit. Here's a track from the rap side of the album called Hip Hop Rules. Six four with the fofo. I got the slow flow and sell like coke though. 
in a benzo, smoking on cocoa. My blood niggas say I'm true about those loco, for real. Had a Land Cruiser before my deal. Then I cop the 400 Lex and I'm set. Moving through the projects like Tyrannosaurus Rex. Shooting texts at sets, make the whole clicks wet. Now I cash big checks, trying to own assets. Build like the Aztecs, why you niggas ask Remember. Drove you crazy, then I was big as Jay-Z Got paid and I got Swayze Eating shrimp with my feet up, made me lazy I bought about ten cars, about five cribs Out in the woods, nobody knows where I live Got a beautiful wife and two kids But I married to hip-hop And that's how it is, cause hip-hop rules And if you didn't know, hip-hop rules Hip-hop rules <laughs> And if you didn't know so uh, at one point in that song, he says uh, he claims that he paved the way for Eminem. <laughs> is he wrong or is he right? That's a that's a that's a legit question. I was well, going to come in with a strong reaction, but the more I think on it, it's like I think kind Emin- of a little. Eminem would probably argue that Ice probably held him back, you know, for a while, you know, because there was that backlash against like having a. A white rapper, like any white rapper that comes up in during like the early 2000s, late Mm -hmm. 90s is going to be like, oh, Vanilla Ice, you know? Right. I think we've kind of moved past that a little bit now, but I'm sure in the early days of Eminem's career, like people were left and right calling him Vanilla Ice. Yeah, uh, definitely. And that's why like, you know, even in the early videos, he had to be like next to Dr. Dre for people to buy like, don't worry, like we're not doing (laughs) that again. (laughs) Yeah, like this guy's actually legit. He actually has talent, actually has street cred. Yeah, so Bipolar was an independent album. It came out on a Tommy Kwan's label, Ultrax record, and it it didn't sell a whole lot, but like by this point, he just like didn't care whether or not his records were selling. So with that in mind, he put out another independent release in 2005. This was called Platinum Underground. <laughs> that title does not agree with me. <laughs> it did not go platinum. <laughs> but it is underground. All right, more all or less. Right. <laughs> He's platinum among the juggalos. <laughs> yeah. Like, I guess like, you know how like Christian rock has its own like, you know, like platinum. I forget what they, it's called like myrrh or something yeah. like that. Like, I only know that because of South Park. Yeah. So maybe maybe like uh, the Juggalo verse has its own version of platinum. Like you sell like uh, five hundred. Gra- you went grape fago. Grape <laughs> grape fago. If you sell five thousand, you get to orange fago. <laughs> this album is mostly straightforward rap, and for some reason, it includes a bunch of songs that were already on Bipolar, as well as a pointless remixed version of Ice Ice Baby. Like seriously, like in Vanilla Ice's discography, you can hear like ten different versions of Ice Ice Baby for some reason or another. Like we already played you two of them, we weren't we're not gonna play any more of them. But right. it's just like I had <laughs> Don't to get your fix somewhere else. Yeah, I had to sit through a lot of Ice Ice Baby doing this episode. But I wanted to highlight one particular track from Platinum Underground, and it might be my favorite Vanilla Ice song of all. It's called Trailer Park Mullet Wars. I 
I'm a criminal mind. Need that biscuit and walk that line. A cop on a dumb don't need a gun. Some people think that crime is fun. Billy Ray Cyrus got a mullet on. Friends and parked in a trailer zone. Shoot that man, run him out of town. Maggots take the body now. War, 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 war. Bring it, bring it, bring it, war. Bring it, bring it, bring it, war. It's like it's like shitty ministry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that song speaks for itself. Do you remember uh, those, like, bum fights videos that people used to make? <laughs> yeah. I feel like this, this song is the soundtrack. Be- soundtrack to bum fights. <laughs> That's, like, what this was aspiring to be. <laughs> In 2008, I signed with Cleopatra Records to release a covers album called Vanilla Ice is Back. Again. 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 Yeah. Again. It's like, yeah. With the exception of Extremely Live, this might be the dumbest record in the Vanilla Ice catalog. The album opens with yet another re-recorded version of Ice Ice Baby. God, let it go, man. I know. It's like, you know that like they wanted him to put that in there just to, like I guess, trick people into right. buying this one as opposed to the, to the extreme. I don't know. <laughs> You're Vanilla Ice, man. So it starts with that, and then it goes on to, to do a bunch of uh, covers where he's basically butchering classic songs by Public Enemy, House of Pain, Sir Mix-A-Lot, and Bob Marley, among others. It is honestly hard to decide which song to play for you from this album. They're, they're all so fucking bad. But I think the, the one that I picked is his version of Bob Marley's Buffalo Soldier. So let's just throw that shit on. Buffalo Soldier Dread like Rasta There was a buffalo soldier In the heart of America Strolling from Africa Brought to America Fighting on arrival Fighting for be a really funny idea for an album like vanilla ice's next album yeah it's called vanilla ice appropriates your culture <laughs> and he just goes like every major region of the world and picks their most like historically important and <laughs> cultural songs <laughs> and just covers it doesn't yeah. change it doesn't add anything it's just he thinks people will want to hear it because it's vanilla ice doing it <laughs> no Va- vanilla ice doing buffalo soldier you're singing about dreadlock rasta yeah, like in an auto-tune is not something I needed to hear today. No, but really, Cal, is there anyone better to tell the story of black slaves who were forced into, <laughs> like, you know, Indian fighting armies than Vanilla Ice? Yeah. <laughs> like, really, like, uh, he, he embodies that better than Bob Marley. Like, this is, <laughs> it's so, it sounds so much more authentic coming from Vanilla Ice. For sure. For sure. Or if you could get Bob Marley, you know, back from the grave and have him cover like Nookie, like, <laughs> that, <laughs> that would that would actually be amazing. <laughs> like the whole album is like this. It just feels like uh, it feels like if you got drunk with Vanilla Ice and like did a bunch of karaoke and someone <laughs> recorded it on their phone. Like this is that, except you're paying thirteen dollars for it. <laughs> 
Vanilla Ice's most recent release is the 2011 album WTF, which stands for Wisdom, Tenacity, Focus. Ooh, clever. For now on, whenever I type WTF to anything, like, really, I'm just saying Wisdom, Tenacity, Focus. <laughs> Released exclusively as a digital download, this album is all over the place in terms of quality and style. In addition to straightforward hip-hop, there's club techno, country rap, and even an acoustic rendition of the song Hooked from his first album. Again, it's hard to decide which track to play for you guys, but let's start off with a song called Rockstar Party. laziest one of everything we've heard so far yeah like he's just rhyming everything with here 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 engineer (laughs) (laughs) he didn't say queer though like i'll give him credit for that smart enough to avoid yeah at this point he like just doesn't care anymore but no and i kind of it's it's kind of fun from that perspective like he's he knows this isn't gonna sell like at all like well this this goes into that weird thing of what happened sorry weird since the internet came out uh like artists don't have to give a fuck you just put something out and if it gets enough hits then fine yeah and we've entered this weird territory of it doesn't even you don't even have to try and it would be interesting if vanilla ice had like a genuinely smart idea that was is just too adventurous for the rest of the world like for example like uh andrew wk like some of our listeners may know who he is he does these like uh really like just heavy like straightforward you know major chord rock songs about partying but he also put out this album called cadillac 55 which is an album of solo piano improvisations and he did that over the internet and it's 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 a really fun interesting album but like the type of thing that like couldn't have done in the 80s or 90s because Mm -hmm. a, a label breathing down your neck wouldn't have approved of that so like Vanilla Ice, if he had any really interesting musical ideas, he could execute them at the drop of a hat. But the problem is, he, I just don't think he does. <laughs> no, I, this video to me seeks like someone who, it comes off like someone who can't stand not having attention anymore. Yeah, he's got to he's gotta do it. He's got to put out an album every couple of years just to prove that he still can. <laughs> I'm still alive, guys. I'm still around. Hey, you remember Vanilla <laughs> I'm Ice? Here. I'm here. <laughs> So here, here's another uh, song from that album, and this features the aforementioned Cowboy Troy. The type of lady who likes to get it off, pour some pain on her body and hey, get off, yeah. 
you know she wanna move something With the tight jeans she's wearing and her pissed belly button Dressed so crazy like a pure sex goddess The way she moves her hips feeling straight up erotic Drop it and twist it, shaking your thighs It's like sex and candy on a Friday night So come on baby doll and release your juice Get your hands in the air, it's time to cut loose Give it up now hey, If you came to get down, taking her clothes off Like this girl's gone wild Hey, all the ladies on the bar Take a shot now, show the world who you are Everybody get crunk, we gon' party all night If good times are wrong, I don't wanna be right Now hey, let me know just how you feel You wanna party or you tryna chill Me and mine going down the field Just have a good time Yep, that one hurt the soul yeah, it's just... I, I'm starting to get officially tapped out here. This is like just your like shitty, uninteresting cousin that wears uh, <laughs> yeah. like khaki shorts and socks with sandals. Like, some, what are you doing today? Oh, I'll just be drinking some beers on the porch. Yeah, like they, they can afford better beer than uh, Milwaukee's Best, but they never drink no, it. No, that's all they like. <laughs> yeah, they just, they don't want to taste the hops. You're going to come to my house and bring me fancy beer? Yeah. <laughs> So that brings us up to date on Vanilla Ice's music career. He started out earning millions as a corporate puppet, then broke free to make the music that he wanted to, even if it wasn't commercially successful or really even that good. And although Vanilla Ice hasn't scored a hit since the early 90s, it doesn't mean he's a failure. In fact, you can argue that music isn't even his main hustle these days. Since he re-emerged in the late 90s, Ice has been popping up in all sorts of strange places. In 1999, he appeared on MTV to, quote, retire the video for Ice Ice Baby, on a set that included Janine Garofalo, Jon Stewart, Dennis Leary, and Chris Kattan. Vanilla was supposed to smash the videotape of the, the master copy of the video, He's supposed to smash it up with a baseball bat, but then he decides to, like, take the baseball bat and smash up the entire set of the show. And the whole thing is on YouTube, and it's just really fucking funny. My, my favorite part of that clip is when Chris Kattan, he, he goes towards Chris Kattan with the bat... <laughs> And Chris Kattan cowers and goes, Vanilla, no! Like, the way he says vanilla just cracks me up. I kind of wish Ice had (laughs) taken that swing, personally. (laughs) In 2000, he took part in Insane Clown Posse's Juggalo Championship Wrestling. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So he filled in for uh, Shaggy 2-Dope from ICP. And uh, I don't know how well he did. I didn't didn't actually see this, uh, this match, but... Yeah, he got to be in a... I bet he did okay. I'm sure, yeah. He's physically, you know, relatively agile. I think he also did a celebrity boxing sometime during this period. That actually rings a weird bell in the back of my mind. Yeah. Like, no, it seems like just the kind of thing he would do. So, yeah. So he started, like, doing, like, all these reality TVs type things. Uh, in 2004, he did The Surreal Life. And three years later, he was in a spinoff series called The Surreal Life Fame Games. <laughs> I haven't seen that either. They should have called the spinoff the surrealer life. <laughs> the surreal, the surrealist, <laughs> the even surrealer life. <laughs> surreal. Yeah, surreal. <laughs> and then in 2011, he appeared on the UK show Dancing on Ice. That seems more apropos to me. Yeah. Like, he's a, he's a dancer. That's what he should be doing. Also in 2011, he took part in the movie That's My Boy alongside Adam Sandler and Andy Samberg. I, and again, I didn't get a chance to see this one, but he plays a... <laughs> it can't be as bad as cool as ice. No. No matter what you think of Adam Sandler. Like, he's Adam Sandler has never done anything that bad. That, I don't know, man. Jack and Jill. <laughs> that's, that's, that was something else. Cool as ice is even worse than Jack and Jill. That's, <laughs> that's how bad cool as ice is. 
In December of 2011, Vanilla Ice played Captain Hook in a British pantomime production of Peter Pan. That role, interestingly, had previously belonged to Henry Winkler. Out with the Winkler, in with the Van Winkle. <laughs> Ooh, that was clever. Huh? <laughs> And then uh, in 2016, he competed on the 23rd season of Dancing with the Stars. I feel like he should have been on this much earlier. Like, yeah, again, this, this is like is, right he, up his alley. Yeah. Apparently, he didn't go that far, Like, which is a, kind of a shame, honestly. what's Is there a new, you know, they do the mask, all the fucking mask singer, mask Yeah. Dancer. Is there a masked dancer? There is, yeah. He should, Has he, he been sh- on it yet? Because if he hasn't, it's it's a no-brainer. Well, maybe he's on the current season and we're just All right, yeah, it. if he <laughs> pops up, then we called it here. No, dude, he should he should definitely do that. He should dress as MC Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> but then uh, this is like the kicker of all of them. In uh, on New Year's Eve of 2020, just a couple of months ago, he performed at Mar-a-Lago for President Trump's New Year's Eve party. <laughs> I got vanilla ice. I got vanilla he's ice. He's a really good rapper. The greatest. The great. From what I've told, he's the greatest rapper. I've never big been big on hip hop, but he has the right <laughs> face for it. He's no. really. He sold me. Talented. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't like it when all these thugs like MC Hammer were doing it, but this guy, he's just got a more a respectable face. <laughs> so sadly donald trump wasn't in attendance like i guess he was too busy like trying to wash away his sorrows from (laughs) you know like getting his ass kicked but don jr rudy giuliani and sean spicer were there and of course because it's a trump party even though it's during the height of the covid pandemic nobody was wearing a mask you don't need it (laughs) hydroxychloroquine All you need is the ice energy that will cure you (laughs) of the COVID germs. But perhaps his biggest success came from real estate. You see, unlike fellow rap icon MC Hammer, Vanilla Ice was smart about his money. He invested much of it in real estate and taught himself how to renovate and flip houses. When the 2008 financial crash hit Florida's housing market especially hard, Ice bought the dip and made a killing. He even started his own TV show, The Vanilla Ice Project, on the DIY network. That show ran for nine seasons. Holy shit. Yeah. I've never even heard of that. Yeah. So like there's a, some of you out there probably has a mom that watches the DIY network and they vanilla, they know vanilla ice solely through that show. (laughs) Just as there's probably a guy who like is only interested in motocross and only knows Rob Van Winkle (laughs) through that channel. There's, there's some number seven jet ski championship guy out there. (laughs) It's like, wait, fucking hates Rob Van Winkle. Wait, this guy did music too. That kind of brings us to the end of this episode. After weeks of studying Vanilla Ice's career, my feelings toward him are kind of mixed. In a way, I kind of pity him. He got caught up in the fame game, and he was manipulated by a lot of like really shadow corporate douchebags into making some really bad decisions. But then eventually he broke free and started making his own music. But to be perfectly honest, as you heard, a lot of that music is quite a lot worse than Ice Ice Baby. I've, and I've just kind of come to the conclusion that Vanilla Ice just doesn't have a lot of musical talent. And yet, he's found a way to stay true to himself and to have fun. And I guess I got to respect that. I don't know. What do you think, Cal? Yeah, I, I feel pretty much the same way. I, I feel I do feel bad for him as well. But same as him, I don't. Because now he's out here putting out this stuff and he's a fucking multimillionaire. Yeah. He did fine. In the long run, he did fine. I... 
I think it would have really sucked to be him in the early 90s when like the backlash was still prevalent. Like I could see yeah. why he like turned to like doing hard drugs and like uh just You just know you're a joke everywhere you go. Yeah, like that's hard to accept. Like it's it's not completely comparable to what Rebecca Black went through, but like it's it's a different version of that. But Yes, he cuz as we talked about the last episode, you you just remember he is a real person. Yeah. It may not seem like it with how many career shapeshifts he went through, but he is a guy. So, like, and this is just another story of how you shouldn't ever want to be famous. Like, uh, here's a quote I dug up from him from a, an article I read. He says about fame, it sounds like everybody's dream, Rob says, but it was a nightmare. It sounds funny, but it was like a prison. All of a sudden, I'm surrounded by strangers telling me what to do. I had stylists and publicists telling me where to go all day from the time I woke up to the time I went to sleep. I had wardrobe people holding shit up and telling me, you're going to wear this when you do this thing and when you're on this show. I didn't even know these people's names. Like, just imagine, like, a, a life where everything is managed from start to finish, and you're only, like, 21, 22 years old. Uh, like, yeah. It's one thing to put up with that shit when you're kind of older and jaded and you're used to it, but like when you're young and free and just should be experimenting with yourself and like now your whole life is scheduled around the clock and people are putting you in the most ridiculous costumes possible. Right. I, I would have freaked out. But then I wanna I wanna end this by going back to the original criticism of Vanilla Ice that we talked about in the beginning of the, the episode, like specifically the third bass song "Pop Goes the Weasel." And if you recall, their critique kind of centers around uh, three main points: one, that Ice's rapping is simplistic and untalented; two, that you know his style of watered down commercial music kind of threatens the fabric of a uh, truly artistic hip hop. And three, what we would call cultural appropriation, the fact that he is stealing from black artists. So now that we know a little bit more about Vanilla Ice, do you think that critique like really holds up? I would say yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, again, I, I respect how he got to the position he was in where he could even become the guy that's accused of stealing their culture. Yeah. I, I do respect that portion of it, but if you... You know, even if you look back at the the duration of what we just talked about, that's a very small part of the story. Yeah. And I I just don't think they were that far off. His rapping is simplistic. Yeah, it is simplistic. He, it's really bad. Yeah, he did become a number one rapper for a while on the backs of many black, probably more deserving black artists. And he did a... It's not like he completely ignored the fact that he was... Uh, using utilizing a black art form he did name drop like uh real rappers mm -hmm. when he was interviewed like uh he, he he didn't go like full woke but right but he did acknowledge that like he's a white guy doing rap and there's all sorts of other like good black artists that you should be listening to too and maybe if he had gone a little bit further in that direction the media might have spared him a little bit well and i don't even think i'm not trying to hold these criticisms above him as a guy because like we were saying earlier, I don't know how much I would have done differently than him if I was him. No. I just, I think the critiques are true. I don't think that makes him a bad person. No. I think it's just some of the flack you take when you're the number one rapper and you're white. And you could make the argument that some of this was necessary. Like, hip-hop was never going to die. It was eventually going to enter the mainstream at some point. It's just too powerful of a genre to ignore. But... You needed to sell it to a society, a white society that's very skeptical of anything that's authentically black, especially in the early 90s. So 
you might have needed a guy like Vanilla Ice. And this is like his defense that he levied at the time is that like I'm introducing people to this really great genre. And I, I don't know whether it would have happened anyway or whether Vanilla Ice accelerated that. But yeah, like I think the, the criticism is valid, but it's not his fault that he yeah. got to where he was. He just he happened to blow up bigger than he thought he would. And that just naturally put a target on his back. Like you said, it's not that different than what happened to Rebecca Black with Friday. <laughs> yeah. Now, it, it, it's different in the sense that she never sold records or anything or became a millionaire from Friday. No. But getting caught up in a tidal wave not of your making mm-hmm. is for sure similar. Yeah. And then one more thing about Third Base. Uh, one thing that we didn't mention you know, earlier when we played that song is that the two rappers in that group, they are white. So, so they're the ones like calling out this guy, saying that he's not making authentically black rap, that he's stealing an art form. It's like, really, are you the guys that should be making this critique? They were woke before people, (laughs) because we have that a little bit now. Actually, yeah, we we definitely have quite a lot of that, and it's it's just if a lot of times it feels like it comes mostly from other white people making the argument about cultural appropriation, whether it's legit or not. Yes. You know, and there's, and it's something that definitely deserves to be talked about. It's an enduring feature of our culture, but it's it's just a topic, I think, at least for me, I'm afraid of touching for a little bit, but we'll just say that it's, it's always worth pursuing the full story. Yes. All right. Well, thank you for listening to us talk about Vanilla Ice. Um, hey, you know, one achievement, Cal. We got through an entire episode without talking about pedophiles or somebody dying at a concert. Hey, yeah. <laughs> That's progress. So there you go. He's not a bad guy. He's Just not, by that alone. He never killed anybody. Yep. <laughs> at least not that we know of. I think the I think the worst guy we talked on this episode was Suge. Yes. He is a bad guy, but he's in jail right now. Yeah, he got what he deserved. So as always, thank you so much for listening. We love you all. Be sure to follow us on Spotify, like our page on Facebook. And if you have any questions or any suggestions, please email us at polishingturdspodcast at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. Ready, 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 rock steady. 90s rap is good as spaghetti.